Welcome to Western New York Catholic Weekly, a production of the Office of Communications for the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. Stay tuned as Greg Prince brings the Catholic newsmakers to you. Wherever it's happening in the diocese, you'll hear about it on Western New York Catholic Weekly. We wanted to address a story that, uh, of course, uh, came out in August about um, the death penalty and church teaching on the death penalty and what the um, Holy Father had uh, said about that. But we wanted to talk about, um, since this is an issue of church teaching and the catechism, uh, we invited Father Greg Fallhaber, who is the pastor at uh, Queen of Heaven Parish in West Seneca and uh, formerly on the faculty of uh, Christ the King Seminary, still teaching at the seminary, right? Yes. So there we go. At least Uh, once a week. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So welcome to the program again, Father Greg. Nice to have you back. Good to be here. when we talk about um, – we'll talk about what the Holy Father said maybe in a bit. But when we talk about church teaching, since that seems to be the, the thrust of, of how the focus went here, that there was a quote-unquote change in church teaching. At least that's how it was reported. Church teaching, of course, is formed in several ways. We talk about scripture and tradition. And under tradition, there's all kinds of sources we draw from, right? Correct. I mean – Certainly under tradition is the practice that's happening in the faith life of people. Um, and certainly has been passed on, you know, through over the years, trying to apply the teachings of Jesus ultimately in the scriptures. And even the scriptures themselves were formed by a faith community. It wasn't just sent down in English, written to us, right. you know, by the angels uh, certainly there's a whole development of church teaching and scriptures are a part of that. You know, So tradition and scriptures are a part of church teaching. And certainly uh, here we're talking about the catechism, so which is a big part. Again, trying to understand what, does we be- what we believe and then how does it apply to our life. So this teaching is more about how does this apply to our life. You know, and this is actually uh, from the third section of the Catechism, uh, where it deals with applying life and living the Catholic faith. What does that mean? And then we get to uh, the commandments. You know, how these are the Ten Commandments, and how do we apply them to real life? And this section on uh, the death penalty and trying to understand it really comes under the section of the Fifth Commandment of thou shall not kill, and what does that mean, uh, and how to apply that in our daily life as we understand that thou shall not kill, you know, while it's rather absolute, we know and understand that there are times, like for instance in self-defense, that sometimes it's allowed, or uh, not that we seek to kill, we never seek to kill, but sometimes to defend life, we sometimes end up having to take another life, for instance, defending ourselves and perhaps in the case of a just war, which would be another whole could be another That's whole a, show. We could do, yeah, we could probably do a week of shows on that yeah. um, because there are, as you say, a lot of nuances to teaching with regard to um, just that commandment alone. Let's not even talk about the rest of them presently. So, right. I mean, it is a... Um, yes, those are the kinds of issues, though, that the catechism tries to help, let's say, the average 
person in the pew like myself work through and provide a basis of understanding the vast volumes of church teaching over the years, right? Correct. In the church teaching, in the catechism, it starts with the creed. You know, this is what we believe. Yeah. Okay, and then, and then we look at well, the next section then dealt with uh, you know the sacraments and the different means by which we receive God's grace through those special sacraments. But then that third section is more about daily life and applying it. And one way to approach that, which this our catechism does do, is to look at the Ten Commandments. So, yeah, it's and even. What's in the catechism is not the fullness. Correct. It's not everything. It's not everything, but it certainly gives a good summary and it's a good reference for the average person especially and even for priests and others who are trying to understand and uh, pull things together rather succinctly and without having to get too nuanced into all the distinctions the catechism is able to do that. Uh, So one of the interesting things about this decision of of Pope Francis is this is an actual change to one section of the catechism, specifically paragraph number 2267. It really is a complete changing of the wording. So what do we mean here? This is not something that happens all the time, right? I mean... No, although, I mean, the catechism itself goes back to 1992, and actually, this is not the first time this section was revised. Uh, okay. Pope John Paul II actually did revise it back in 1997, uh, where at that time uh, he made the statement that uh, recourse to the death penalty would be extremely rare. He said that when it, this is the only practical way to defend the lives of human beings effectively against an aggressor. And so he made that change in 1997. So that's 20 years ago, more than 20 years, 21 right. years ago. And uh, so now this is another step. And also John Paul II, uh, really when he addressed the U.S. Catholic Conference in 1999, and he, the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, did say that there was a new urgency to stand up against capital punishment. So yeah. this has been a development of doctrine as we understand it. Still, theoretically, it's possible for the death penalty, but our current teaching is saying now that it's really not admissible in today's world because it's seen to be an attack on the inviability and the dignity of the human person. So as you mentioned in the beginning, that. This is ultimately our appreciation for respecting all human life from womb to tomb, as Cardinal Bernadine would call it, the seamless garment of teaching, uh, respecting all human life. One of the things that um, you, you know we kind of toss out in terms of, of maybe just making this more understandable or, or whatnot is this notion of hate the sin, not the sinner. Right, and there's no question that, and and it seems to be from the conclusion of uh, uh, even John Paul II and what you're talking about, and he, and even Benedict to a to a certain degree. Um, there is a level of evil, right? Some people commit evil, evil right. acts. Um, yet again, we have this notion 
as as Catholics, right, of reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, and and I suppose we can look to, there's a slight irony in that if there was no death penalty, of course, we might not have a Christianity. <laughs> it's kind of based on that very act. Um, and not to make light of it, mind you. Yeah. But the... Um, uh, but of course, even during that time, right? Um, Jesus forgave those perpetuating that against mm-hmm. him. Yeah, yeah certainly. Uh, you know, the year of mercy, which we had, you know, two years ago, yeah. uh, certainly a part of this. Uh, but the understanding of really any type of punishment against evil, and we do say that uh, we need to have people put in prison. And they do need to experience the consequences for their actions of evil. And certainly, there's no greater evil than taking human life. But do we want to perpetuate that taking of human life by taking more life? And so to help reconcile that. And actually, historically, this whole topic, uh, back in 1980 in the U.S. Catholic Conference, we did issue... Uh, a statement calling for the abolition of capital punishment. What's very interesting for us in the Diocese of Buffalo, I think, is that our bishop back in 1980 was Bishop Edward Head, and he was actually the chair of that committee that wrote the document on calling for the abolition of capital punishment. And really, back then, and I would say these are same virtues here, that there's abolition would speak in a number of different ways, sending a message that we don't need to continue the cycle of violence, that we can stop it and try to move in a positive direction. And certainly this belief that each person, even if they've committed sin, even if they've committed an abominable sin like murder, that they still are dignified as a person and their life is of value. Now, part of the reason we put people in prison is to help to reform them. And certainly, obviously, if you kill people, <laughs> you can no longer reform them. Does it prevent it? There's, we can, that's a whole other topic. I don't think we have enough time here to deal with that. Uh, but anyways, uh, studies have shown, actually, that things uh, like the death penalty hasn't necessarily stopped people from committing abominable crimes. And the cost factors, actually, it's more expensive to, you know, have a capital punishment case in today's world than keeping someone in prison for life imprisonment. The idea, though, is to protect, we need to protect society from people who are going to commit crimes. And we certainly try to do that. But ultimately, this is giving testimony that God alone is the Lord of life that we as human beings should not be determining, you know, and this goes to other factors, like at the end of life, you know, when we deal with the issues of uh, physician-assisted suicide, which is another huge topic in today's world that we need to stand up against. And I say this is just part of that testimony against, uh, you know, the destruction of life. You know, as Pope John Paul II said, uh, you know, the, the death, uh, the, the culture of death that does exist in our world and speaking for the culture of life that we want to give that by promoting here 
saying that the death penalty is against that dignity of the human person. Um, so I, um, I, I will ask succinctly as we kind of wrap up this segment um, and for the, for the clarity uh, you know, of those listening or people who, who kind of go, okay, what does that really mean? You know, like what, is, <laughs> what does that happen? Um, so um, have we really changed our stance on the death penalty as a church or are we saying that um, uh, this is perhaps um, a more current understanding and expression of that same teaching? I would say the latter, certainly, that uh, even while we've allowed the death penalty <laughs> to exist in some situations, that it's certainly not the ideal. Uh, we want to defend life at all costs and don't want to take uh, death uh, ever as something that, as an end that we want to achieve. And so uh, the dignity of the human person we're trying to defend. And so in the past, the death penalty or capital punishment has been tolerated more so than encouraged. So and here we're saying in today's circumstances that it's no longer can we say that, but rather, as the Pope says, it's inadmissible in today's world. And so uh, then we have to apply this teaching. And I right. think that's where... Uh, Individual legislators and uh, governments do have to look at that. Uh, but as a church, we are trying and striving for a world where that would no longer be a way that we enforce you know, persecution for crimes by killing people. Uh, and, and just you know, one last point, I guess, that this all seems very much in line with the other kinds of teaching and kind of the outlook of Pope Francis's papacy. Right. I mean, Pope Francis, certainly, we can look at his whole history as a priest, as a bishop, and now as pope. And this certainly fits in line with his teaching, but it also picks up from Pope John Paul II right. and Pope Benedict uh, that all of them are really moving in this direction in concert. It hasn't been just Pope Francis's thing. It really goes back uh, certainly the last 30 years at least. And in our United States, we can see it going back even further than that. Uh, Father Greg Fallhaber, who is the pastor at the Queen of Heaven Parish and on the faculty at Christ the King Seminary, thank you for coming in and clarifying some of this for us. You're welcome. So hopefully it was helpful. We'll be right back. Make your voice heard. Join the Catholic Action Network and speak out in support of the poor and vulnerable, the sick and elderly, the unborn, families and children. Sign up online at nyscatholic.org and click on Join the Network. That's nyscatholic.org. And visit the New York State Catholic Conference's Legislative Action Center. Read alerts on important legislative issues and email your state representative. Stay informed and strengthen the Catholic voice in New York. You'll find it all at nyscatholic.org. That's nyscatholic.org. In addition to October being Respect Life Month, which we snuck in under the wire this week with our discussion in the first half about the death penalty, October is also dedicated to the Blessed Mother, Mary, the Mother of Jesus, particularly in the Rosary. To close out the program, I'd like to share a reflection from Father John Mergenhagen. 
Father Morgenhagen was known throughout his priesthood for his expertise in the area of contemplative prayer and also for his retreat ministry. The title of this meditation is Mary, Queen of Hearts. Royalty and its trappings do not hold the same charm for modern times as they did for bygone centuries. Kings and queens seem more like echoes from the days of fairy tales when we wandered between giant blades of grass and leapt over miniature mountains. Still, there is an enchantment with kings and queens which is shown by the welcome we extend visiting royalty to our land. Even the chosen people were not content until God gave them a king for a ruler. Christ is a king, but his kingdom is a travesty on earthly kingdoms. When men attempted to crown him a king, he fled into the hills. Only when an acknowledgment of his kingship helped seal his death warrant did he proclaim his royal birthright. And then he quickly added that his kingdom was not of this world. All his royal values are inverted. His very message seems a contradiction. You lose your life so you can save your life. You die in order that you might live. If Christ is a king, Mary is his queen. If he is a king who tastes suffering, Mary must drink from the same chalice. As a princess is groomed from the nursery to the day when she will sit upon a throne, so God prepared Mary for her queenship of sorrows. At the presentation of the child in the temple, the aged Simeon turned from the infant to the mother and said to her, And your own heart a sword shall pierce. His solemn words, his penetrating look, made such an impression that Mary knew that God was making another annunciation another announcement to her. Mary never experienced the pains of martyrdom, yet she wears a martyr's crown and bears the title Queen of Martyrs. On Good Friday, Mary followed Christ's footsteps to Calvary. Each pain was a new sword piercing her heart. As his queen, she had to witness what is spared every other mother, the death of her son. Nor was there any pride in his death. He did not die a hero's death. He was executed as a criminal. If Mary had never known grief, her spiritual children would have looked to her for sympathy but we would have searched elsewhere for understanding. The saints 
would have wondered. For although there may have been sinners who have never known suffering, there has never been a saint who has not known suffering. A queen is a queen every moment. She never for an instant forgets her royal bearing. Her life requires complete dedication. As queen of virgins, Mary offered herself completely, body and soul, to God. Although every celibate claims Mary for his or her queen, every married couple invoke her as their queen. Both are correct, for this paradox of a woman belongs to everyone. She is a wife, although she never knew fulfillment. She is a virgin, although she never knew loneliness. Unique among the children of the human race, she is the virgin mother. Although Mary lived in the world, those souls who have withdrawn from the world, who live contemplative lives behind monastery and convent walls, they salute her as their queen. Queen of contemplatives, she lived in prayerful silence. Mary kept in mind all these things, pondering them in her heart. Through Christ's hidden years, Mary remained hidden. During his public life, her appearances were brief and to the point. After Pentecost, she retired to the home of St. John, where she lived in obscurity. Mary is also queen of those who labor actively in the vineyard. The visitation is the story of youth respecting old age. It is a setting of Mary's longest speech, her glorious Magnificat. It is the meeting of John, the last of the prophets, and Christ, the fulfillment of all prophecy. The visitation is all this and more. It furnishes the basis for Christian Christ-like charity. It is not enough to love one's neighbor. Even a non-Christian can do this. When a Christian performs a kind deed, a Christian must realize that they are acting as Christ, that they are befriending the mystical Christ. Mary carried Christ to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth received her as someone bearing Christ to her. Like Mary, we must carry Christ to everyone with whom we come in contact. Like Elizabeth, we must receive everyone as someone bearing Christ to us. At times, the Christ in our neighbor will be a blurred image. But our faith must still be able to detect that image of Christ. In many fairy tales, the prince leaves his palace and falls in love with a commoner. 
He returns with her to his castle, and she eventually becomes his queen. Two thousand years ago, God the Son left the Father's mansion and was born of a woman. He lived among his creatures, was mistreated by them, and returned to his Father's side. At the end of his mother's life, he took her up into heaven. The assumption is the king reclaiming his queen and welcoming her to his kingdom. We, their subjects, now await our entrance into the kingdom, where, with the king and queen of hearts, we shall live happily ever after, world without end. Amen. You've been listening to Western New York Catholic Weekly, produced by the Office of Communications for the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo, with the help of the Catholic Communication Campaign and this radio station. If you have a comment about this week's program or need more information about anything you hear on Western New York Catholic Weekly, Call us at 847-8744 or send us an email to radio at buffalodiocese.org. Our email address again is radio at buffalodiocese.org or call 847-8744. You can visit the Western New York Catholic and the Diocese of Buffalo online at buffalodiocese.org. And be sure to join Greg Prince again next week for Western New York Catholic Weekly.